erectile dysfunction? <laughs> it used to be called impotence until the 1990s, where then it had to be a diagnosis in order to prescribe pharmaceuticals. There are natural treatments that work really well for both young men and older men. Pharmaceuticals are sometimes necessary. You're going to be so surprised when you hear what I think it's the primary cause for erectile dysfunction. Let's go. Welcome to the Dr. Geo podcast. I am your host, Dr. Geo, where it is my goal to share with you some insights, clinical experience, and some of my research as it relates to helping you with urological conditions and overall how you can live better with age. Today's podcast is about erectile dysfunction, ED. What is ED? What's erectile dysfunction? And what can we do about it? All right. So I'm going to take you down a journey on sort of reverse engineer what ED is and help you resolve some of these issues that you have with erections. Okay. So what is erectile dysfunction? First of all, erectile dysfunction was created into a disease, <laughs> which is not a disease, right? ED is a symptom that something is off right? But it was created into a disease so then we can prescribe drugs because you can only prescribe pharmaceutical drugs if you have a disease, right? So now there's a ICD-10 code that healthcare practitioners could type in and they get paid by insurance companies for that visit because in modern medicine, you can only treat disease where insurance companies are willing to pay for. And then you can prescribe and so forth. So ED, by definition, is the inability to obtain or maintain an erection that's satisfying for both parties, the person with the erection and the person that's being intimate with the person with the erection, right? So again, ED is a symptom that something else is off, is a symptom that something else is off. And it's important to say that because oftentimes the treatments, the medical treatments is, of course, PDE5 inhibitors, phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors. These are your Cialis, your Viagras, and your Levitras. And they are fine drugs, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but they don't deal with the cause. Is a Band-Aid, a, a good Band-Aid, well, a pretty good Band-Aid. You know, if you have some ED and you need to hit a home run Friday night, you know, with your partner or whoever, you know, you take 20 milligrams of Cialis or, I don't know, 50 milligrams of Viagra, you're going to probably be able to function. So it's a good drug and I have very little problems with it, but you're not treating the cause. Why are you having ED? Is there a vascular issue? Is Are you developing diabetes? Your stress is not being managed. Why are you developing ED, right? So we're going to kind of unpack that and figure out what's going on in that area. Overall, let me say this. It used to be that the primary type of person that comes to the office with ED was an elderly person. Let's just say above 50. Let's just say. I, I don't... <laughs> 
I don't mean to call anybody above 50 old, as I soon uh, will get to that point. But by, you know, standards, medical standards and scientific standards, let's just say that as we talk about younger men, that's typically at age under 40, let's just say, and older men will be considered men over 40. Let's just keep the language here simple. Again, that doesn't mean that if you're over 40 or over 50 or over 60 that you're old. You know how I feel about that. I feel that there is no getting old. We can all age chronologically, but we don't need to get old, right? Don't let a old person move in into your body. But we'll talk about we'll talk about that in a little while in a, another podcast. I've seen a great deal of men younger than 40 with erectile dysfunction coming into my office. What's going on there? What's that about? Most men that are 50 and above would say, oh my God, when I was 25, I, <laughs> I couldn't keep it down. Erectile dysfunction with a 25 and 30-year-old. What's that about? And yeah, there's a good amount of these younger guys suffering from ED. So the way I want to break this down is, okay, what's ED? We already talked about that. How does it affect a man younger than 40? And how does it affect a man older than 40? Right? And what are the things that we can do to overcome erectile dysfunction and treat it both naturally and sometimes with integrative medicine? So this is, this is what you have to look forward to. So tighten your seatbelts. Here we go. First thing, a penis is a man's barometer to indicate how his overall health is. So this is one thing, obviously, that women do not have, where we can just, just see how healthy we are or how healthy we're not. So men who for example, if I have a man come to my office and he hasn't had an erection in three months, red flags are going up in my head. That doesn't mean he's had erections every day for those three months or he hasn't had an erection, uh, you know, for some of the days. No, if a man comes into my office and he has not had an erection for three months, not one day for three months, those raise red flags. Okay, something is off here whether it's a morning erection, whether it's a nighttime erection where, you know, you're tossing and turning and, and you wake up to turn from your left side to your right side in your bed. And wow, there it is. You have an erection, whether it's erection to be sexually active, whether it's a spontaneous, something, something. So that's that. So it's very important for men to get erections for their whole life. Doesn't matter if you're 70 or 80. The only exception to that rule is men that get medically treated for prostate cancer, whether it's a prostatectomy or sometimes even radiation, okay? But for men who have organic causes of ED, they should get an erection more often than not. And every now and then, men should wake up with an erection. So typically, a man would get an erection during their sleep, three to five times a night on average. Yeah, there are many times where you may not know that you got an erection because you're not waking up with one. But if you are a healthy man, and not even that healthy, if you're a somewhat healthy man, you should get an erection three to five times a night on average. 
Okay. And that's a sign of, again, good health. All right. Let's just talk about how men get an erection in the first place, right? There's two things that need to happen, two pathways that need to be healthy and free of movement. One is the nervous system. So in order for a man to get an erection, the muscles of the penis is stimulated by nerves that comes from the lower back between L2 and L4 of the lower back, right? So these nerves, these branches of nerves will innervate the muscles of the penis, and that's how an erection begins. Then, of course, there needs to be blood flow going into the penis, particularly there's two cylinders called the corpus carbonosum. Those are two muscular structures filled with blood vessels, and those two muscles need to be filled with blood where that would cause a penis to rise. And then finally, the veins, the venous parts of the penis needs to close off and leave the blood in the arteries of the corpus convenosum so that the erection is sustained until a man reaches an orgasm, climax, and then the venous occlusion opens up and then blood flows back into the body and so forth, okay? So you need to have healthy nerves and you need to have a healthy bloodstream, a healthy bloodstream. So anything that causes problems, disease, dysfunction with nerves or blood vessels would cause erectile dysfunction. You good with that? All right. So why do men under 40 are experiencing ED. What's that about? So here's the deal. I think that while technology has made our lives to some degree easier, our technology has helped us have access to information in our fingertips, right? We can quickly find out information. We can order anything just by pressing a button whether it's a cab or a taxi or food <laughs> or anything, right? So it's made our lives easier in some ways, but more difficult in others. So technology increases stress for a lot of people, particularly if you're on social media and it just doesn't only affect teenage girls. If you're constantly, you know, reeling, reeling and looking at social media, you, you're trying to figure out how you're not enough. You're not good looking enough. You don't have enough money. Your penis is not big enough. You're not sexy enough. You are, you know, you don't have broad shoulders. You're not stock. It's just constant reminders of how you're not enough and that's stressful. So social media and excess watching things on your devices is a problem. I'll take it a step further. Excess porn watching is a problem in younger men. Not only in younger men, I have had men in their 50s who watch too much porn and that has contributed to their erectile dysfunction, but certainly in men younger than 40, men in their 30s. Think about it. Let's just say the internet has been around since, I don't know, 20 years, 20-something years, let's just say. Well, many of them had these devices and access to the internet, you know, when they were before teenagers. And so when you and I... <laughs> you and I, meaning if you're, you know, 50 and older, if we wanted to watch pornography, it was an ordeal. You remember? 
it was an ordeal. <laughs> we had to go to the nearest blockbuster or the video store. And in the corner of the store, right, there's a big XXX big sign where all the porn videotapes were. <laughs> right. You're looking around, making sure no one's watching before you pull one of these films. Right. You leave the store in a, with the a tape. VCR tape in a paperback, brown paperback, you know, along with the, your, your Playboy magazine, if you will. <laughs> it's just, it was too much work. Since the advent of the internet or shortly after, there's numerous porn sites that all you have to do is click a button and you have all the porn you want. And that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a huge contributor, no pun intended, <laughs> huge contributor to ED. Not my opinion. There's been data written on this and it makes sense. It makes sense because you're forming ideas as a teenager or even before you're a teenager as to how sex works that are probably untrue. In other words, you're watching porn. You're saying, oh, man, I, man, I'm not that big. Like the guy on the porn film. Oh, man, I'm really wow. I'm really small. My organ is so small. You're creating ideas of how sex works and how the woman should be and if she should be screaming or positions and things like that that may or may not be associated with real life. So then when you're about to become sexually active, you know, it's a whole different scenario in real life and ED occurs. So I think that the stress from watching too many things on your devices is a problem, a stressor, which causes ED or contributes to ED, I should say. Watching excess porn contributes to ED. I would say that's probably the number one factor. And then just stress in general where, I don't know, guys can find jobs or can't find jobs where they're satisfied, so forth stress related to these things. How? Why stress? Because stress increases cortisol. And when you have high cortisol, that affects many things negatively, including testosterone production. It interferes with testosterone production. And once you have low testosterone, that interferes with ED. And even cortisol by itself just doesn't allow the nerves to work properly. Or these stress chemicals do not allow a smooth transmission of nerves to the penis to get the ball rolling and getting the blood in there to get an erection, all right? So very rarely in men under 40, there's a systemic problem that's causing ED. In other words, very rarely it's related to heart disease or diabetes or endothelial dysfunction. Very rarely is there a problem that's related to a disease often is psychological and watching too many things on electronic devices, particularly porn. Let's talk about the psychological component of ED. There's something called performance anxiety. So let me take it a step back for one second. The most important organ and the number one organ for healthy erections is your mind, okay? Your mind. In order to have a, an erection and maintain an erection, you have to be all in in the bedroom, 
You have to be all in. 50% of your mind can't be at work and the stresses that have to do with work or some other issues. You have to be immersed and engaged in sexual activity when you're about to have sexual activity. So the mind is the, the most important organ. So performance anxiety, if let's just say you go into the bedroom with your partner and it just doesn't work. Next time you go to the bedroom with your partner, you're thinking, oh man, I, I didn't, I was unable to get it, get it up last time. Would I be able to do it? I, I, oh my God, will I be able to, 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 to get an erection? And then you may have a drink to kind of calm the nerves. No problem with that. I'm not saying you have to drink to get an erection, but you know what I mean. You have a drink. If you drink too much alcohol, however, you're not going to get an erection. So while a little bit is good or might be helpful, too much may be a problem. And if you get intoxicated, then all bets are off. You're not getting an erection. Okay? So alcohol can be contributory if there's too much. Okay. So you have a drink to kind of cool things down. But if your mind is thinking of the last event where you were unsuccessful, then it's going to be difficult. Okay? So... The psychogenic components and the excess porn watching is the primary factor why men under 40 are having ED. All right. How about men over 40? Over 40, 50s, 60s, even 70s. All right. The psychogenic component of erectile dysfunction always plays a role, including in men that are over 40, but oftentimes to a lesser degree. The issue with men over 40, and yes, they can have a porn watching problem. I've seen, I've seen it, but not so common as in men under 40. The issue oftentimes is related to some other systemic problems, systemic diseases that are either starting to develop or are full, in full fledged already. So this is like type 2 diabetes, for example, right? I tell you what. Diabetes, if you were to ask me, Dr. Gia, what's the number one disease that causes all kinds of other problems? Oh, man, I, that's a hard one because there's so many. No, 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 no. Tell me the one thing, you know, gun in my, in my head. You know, tell me the one, number one thing. The number one, I would say diabetes. Diabetes and insulin resistance, I would say, not only is it a killer, literally speaking, it's the number one cause of many many diseases and many health problems and many quality of life problems like erectile dysfunction. Okay. So diabetes type two, sometimes I see men with that are pre-diabetic and they don't even know. So they come to me for ED and it's like, we do a full workup again in my practice. And I think I don't have a problem with PDE5 inhibitors, but let's look at what's happening. So let's do a full workup. So you have to look at different biomarkers, including glucose and hemoglobin A1C and insulin levels and things like that to see how your body is metabolically behaving. I've seen many times guys with pre-diabetes, which leads to metabolic syndrome hypertension, high LDL cholesterol, bad cholesterol, low good cholesterol, and triglycerides, and big waste. I've seen a lot of guys with these issues. So that's contributory. The other part is heart, cardiovascular disease, is the other component that is connected to erectile dysfunction. So remember, and how does that work? Well, diabetes, heart disease, these things inhibit proper blood flow to the penis. 
right? Either through hardening of the arteries. So, so remember when I said, you know, the penis is a barometer to a man's heart. If those little arteries in the penis are not working properly because they're atherosclerotic, they're hardening, and there's probably some plaque in there, well, well, what's happening to the arteries of your heart? They're also hardening, and there's plaque formation in there. So this is why a full evaluation in men's health and in the male clinic talking about penile health and erections is very important. Diabetes type 2 contributes to hardening of the arteries and plaque formation of the penis. So huge problem there. Cardiovascular disease, if your heart is not healthy, you can't pump enough blood to these little arteries of the penis. So how about from a neurological perspective, the nervous system that contributes to erections? Well, some people can have multiple sclerosis, right? Parkinson's disease is a contributor for ED, right? Anything that affects the proper flow of nerve, the electric component, if you will, of ED will affect that, will affect uh, uh, erections. Okay. What can we do about it? What can we do about erectile dysfunction? Here's the deal. There are numerous things. The first thing is your mind. What's your goal? What's your goal? What's your goal with having sex? Do you want to have sex or do you want to make love? I'm not going to get too deep into this, but you need to ask that question because that makes a difference. Okay. If you just want to be physical then there's many ways to do that, including the use of PD-5 inhibitors. Okay? I'm not judging. I'm not here to judge you. You could do whatever you want, obviously, but you have to try to figure out what's your goal. You know, even in cases where some men come to my office and they're like, you know, 56 years old and say, well, I'm not like when I was 30 or 25. I say, yeah, sure. I don't last long enough. What do you mean you don't last long enough? Well, you know, I'm only lasting five, 10 minutes. I used to last longer. Five, 10 minutes? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you five, 10 minutes? That's not premature ejaculation. The premature ejaculation is lasting a minute or less. And besides, the goal, particularly as you get older, I think, the goal is just not to be physical. The goal is for both parties to be satisfied by the end of a sexual encounter. Both parties to reach a climax. That could be two minutes. That could be five minutes. It could be 10 minutes. That could be quickies. For many partners, quickies are great. So you need to identify what the goal is. And there's a difference between making love and being engaged. And there are guys that don't get erections because they've had prostate issues or prostate uh, removal for prostate cancer or any other type of medical treatment. And they're still engaged in romance and affection and by the way, I don't know if you know this, but you do not need an erection to reach an orgasm. Okay? You do not need an erection to reach an Men can get an orgasm without ejaculating and even without an erection. Okay? So there's many ways of engaging with your partner. Okay? But if you can get an erection, again, it's important to get one for health reasons and so forth. All right. So what can we do about it? What can we do about it? So you want to try to identify the cause. If it is related to psychological issues, then you want to get that fixed. 
there's some great sex therapists out there. So there's a subspecialty in, in, in psychology, people that specialize in sex therapy. I find them to be amazing, really helpful. So there's sex therapy. There is just acknowledging that the mind is so important and powerful for sexuality. I think just that's 50% of the battle, if you didn't know that before, okay? Stop watching things and excess things on TV. And even if it's not porn, it's just excess, you know, these devices, just we have more exposure to unnegative things that we're consuming. And that has a, that penetrates our minds and our, and our subconscious mind. So you want to control these devices, not have them control you and control the things you watch. Pretty much what we tell our kids and our teenage kids is we need to do the same. Okay. We need to take a little bit of our own advice. Okay. That's that. You want to do the things that reduces your risk of metabolic syndrome and your risk of diabetes or cardiovascular disease. The healthier you are, the better you'll be able to gain and obtain and maintain an erection. Well, Dr. Gio, you don't know what happens to me because I get an erection and in the middle of intercourse, it goes flaccid. What's the deal with that? In the middle of intercourse, it goes flaccid. What's happening there? That's typically a result of psychogenic reasons where the mind is not fully engaged in the moment. Your, your mind is in three other places. Okay. So you get an erection, but before you both reach an orgasm, it goes flaccid. Your mind is somewhere else, or there might be low testosterone or total testosterone might be normal, but free testosterone might be low. Okay. So another component to proper erections is testosterone. And on this podcast, I'm not going to talk much about what to do about testosterone because that's for another podcast, but I'll tell you this. You don't need very high testosterone or you don't need very high total testosterone to get and maintain an erection. You do need a decent amount of free testosterone. So typically testosterone goes from range 300 to about 800, depending on what labs you read. And if it's 350, for many people, that's, that's low testosterone. Maybe, maybe. But if, if it's 350, but your free testosterone is good to really good, then oftentimes that will not cause ED. Okay? And so forth. So again, we're going to talk about testosterone and what that looks like and what's optimal and so forth on another podcast. But you need decent testosterone levels. No question about that to even have desire to be sexually active. But that's the deal with penis going flaccid in the middle of intercourse. All right. The medical treatments for ED, as you know, are Cialis, Viagra, Levitra. I have no problems with it, but here's what you may not know. Oftentimes when people use, let's just say Viagra or Cialis at high dosages, the feedback that I get, and I don't think you've heard this before, the feedback that I get is from a lot of men is that they feel that they're, yes, they get an erection. Yes, they can penetrate, but the penis feels a little bit desensitized. It's almost like the nerves of the tip of the penis are sort of asleep. So you're just kind of going through the motions, but you're not feeling much of anything. 
it's almost as if they would tell me as if my penis is detached from my body. Okay. So I'm sorry for being repetitive here. I don't have a problem with these drugs and sometimes I recommend it, but they're side effects. Okay. And one of them that you never heard of is this detachment scenario where it's not engaging. I don't feel good as I do this, though I can get an erection and penetrate. The other side effects you you may know, is which is flushing of the face and you get headaches and and so forth with Cialis you, or Tadalafil, which is the generic name, you may get lower back pain. But you may not get it at lower dosages, like five milligrams a day of Cialis or maybe 20 milligrams of Viagra. So you have to play around with the dosage. Again, treat the cause, treat the cause, don't be foolish. Something else is happening and you don't want to be dependent on it. You shouldn't have to be. Okay, that's that. From a medical perspective, the next best thing is called trimix, some sort of an injection where you inject the penis, the muscle of your penis. Oftentimes, that's reserved for men after they've had medical treatment for prostate cancer. And yes, it works very well. Or penile implant, which is literally a surgical procedure. Those two cylinders called the corpus carvinosum, they're replaced with a with two cylinders that are made from silicon, I want to say but don't quote me on that. And then that will serve as the two cylinders that will be filled with fluid to get an erection and you have full control of that. So I'm not going to get into the details of penile implants because you can look that up online, but those are your options. Again, treat the cause, treat the cause, okay? Get healthier, get fitter, build your body and you'll be fine. There are studies that show that men after, you know, who start losing weight and exercise and eat right, they start getting erections, okay? And even if you're not sexually active, one of the ways you know if things are moving in the right direction is a morning erection more often than not, okay? What are the natural approaches, right? What are the natural approaches? Well, nothing is more natural, again, than exercise, physical exercise, a good diet, I'm losing some weight and body fat if you're overweight. And then there's some nutraceuticals that I really like, some herbs and and nutrients. Okay, what's the goal? The goal is to keep the arteries healthy. Anything that keeps the arteries healthy is good for erectile dysfunction. Anything that's good for the heart is also good for erectile dysfunction. So in terms of botanicals and herbs, You know, my favorite category of herbs at this moment in time for erectile dysfunction is called adaptogens, the adaptogens. These are herbs like rhodiola, ashwagandha, which is actually my favorite and the one that I use most, ashwagandha, ginseng, primarily Siberian ginseng, Korean ginseng as well. Cordyceps, the mushrooms cordyceps work well too. Okay, there's a variety of these adaptogens that work really well. Disclosure, disclosure. I have formulated a male sexual health formula called XY Vigor. So some of the ingredients, though not all, that I talk about here are in that formula. So that's just in the interest of full disclosure. But ashwagandha is one of my favorites. Now, interestingly enough, adaptogens have not, in terms of scientific research, have not been really looked at for erectile dysfunction in terms of human studies and randomized trials and things like that. Most have not, actually. 
but they are my the favorite. So sometimes as a herbalist, one has to look outside the box and see, well, is there any mechanism where this group of herbs will work? Well, adaptogens will work because it brings down cortisol. And ashwagandha has shown to do that, for example. If you bring down cortisol, you have a better chance of getting erections. Anything that helps with stress, with adrenal function, and reduces excess cortisol will help with erections, and adaptogens are able to do that. Okay. How about these other herbs? Uh, horny goat weed, that's the common name, tribulus, tonkat ali. There's quite a few out there. Well, they they do seem to work for some people. Again, the research is sparse, and very few of them are in clinical trials. Certainly, very good good clinical trials are few and far in between. So it's a matter of trial and error. In my mind, adaptogens are the best. Anything that reduces stress chemicals and supports arterial health. Okay, so. Other nutrients that support arterial health include resveratrol and pomegranate extract. Actually, pomegranate extract, they work very well in supporting arterial health. Okay, there, there are others. Pycnogenol, right? There are others that do that. I think a nice blend of antioxidants work well too. Ingredients include arginine. So what causes vasodilation, right? So opening of the arteries, what causes that? Nitric oxide, nitric oxide. So you want to increase nitric oxide. Anything that helps increase nitric oxide will help with getting more blood flow to the penis. Arginine is known to help with nitric oxide. Okay. The problem with arginine is the following, that throughout the body, liver, and digestive system, you have an enzyme called arginase. And so then the arginine gets metabolized very quickly. But if you take citrulline, L-citrulline, that's an excellent precursor to arginine. So that citrulline keeps enough arginine around. So formulas that I've used that include arginine, not arginine, I'm sorry, citrulline, seem to work very well in most men even by itself. And I don't have a problem taking these some of these botanicals and nutrients with even a low-dose PDE5. I think it works very well. However, sometimes it works great by itself. And men, even if they're not sexually active, they're, they're reporting, well, I wake up, I wake up with erections. So I like citrulline way better than arginine. And, and I know there's formulas out there that contain both arginine and citrulline. I just don't see why you need both. Just getting enough citrulline in, and that should do that should work, along perhaps with ashwagandha and pomegranate, pycnogenol, resveratrol, things that help with arterial health. Okay, so that's the story with erectile dysfunction, and that's how I think you can help yourself enjoy. You know, look, sexuality is an important component to quality of life. It's not everything. It's not everything. And I know for some minutes, of course, is everything. Are you kidding me? Oh, this guy's <laughs> this guy's crazy. Sex is everything. There's a cultural component to sexuality. So some cultures are more attached to their sexuality than others. Okay. But I can tell you objectively, it's not everything, but it's a nice thing. It's an important thing for quality of life. And I think that many men, even after 
prostate surgery can successfully get an erection, depending on numerous factors. Okay, so this is my podcast today on erectile dysfunction. I hope it's useful to you. And if you have any questions, just you know, email us at podcast at drgeo.com. Let us know how we're doing and let me know if this served you well. Okay. And I'll see you next time. This is Dr. Geo signing off. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Gio Espinoza ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five-star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in the world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor-patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with.